I want you to look with me to the 17th chapter of the book of John today. The 17th chapter of the book of John. I want you to find your place there. And let me remind you this morning, I didn't do the communication cards and the guest cards and that we normally do for sake of time. But I really would love for you, if you're a guest with us today at North Place, to take a few moments at the end of this service. Haley and I are going to be back in our connection place. If you go down the large hallway towards the west end of our building, there are refreshments back there and, and drinks. And some of the other pastors and myself, will, along with Haley, will be back there. We would love to have the chance to get to know you, whether you've come for a few weeks or today's your first Sunday. Uh, before you leave, if you just take a few moments right after the end of the service and connect with us, it would be our privilege to get to meet you. So um, we didn't do a lot of the guest cards today, but if you will come back there, uh, we'd love to get a record of your attendance and say thank you uh, and just have the chance of meeting you back there. For the last several weeks, I have been in a sermon series entitled It Starts at Home, and uh, I'm finishing that series today. We focused on intentionality in the family. When you look at the scripture, you'll find out that the church and pastors of the church are not the main disciplers of your children. And we've made statements like that that have left some of you kind of scratching your heads. That the church is not the most responsible party for the spiritual formation of your family. You are. And we've discussed about how it takes intentional shifts in our marriage and our parenting and in various avenues of the family for us to do what the Scripture calls on us to do to begin to be the main disciplers of our children. We've said that the, wa- the church is like the water. Uh, we provide the resource, but the family is like the soil where the true spiritual roots begin to grow. So the church has a role to play, but not the main role. We provide the water. The family provides the soil for lasting roots to grow. We've got the home place kiosk in the back. You'll see it back there. And there are numbers of resources that are available. Pastor Taylor said over a thousand of those resources have been picked up in just the last few weeks. And it is stocked full of resources for every life stage you could have find yourself in right now. And how to be more intentional in your marriage, more intentional in your parenting, more intentional as a grandparent. And today, we've intentionally stocked it with more resources on grandparenting because I want to focus on that concept today. But before you check out and say, well, I'm not a grandparent, this doesn't relate to me. In the same way that Pastor Mike talked to singles last week with the underlying theme that was relevant to everybody was the sufficiency of Christ I want to talk to grandparents this morning, but the underlying theme for all of us is how to leave a legacy in prayer. One of the most moving memories in my life is walking through my grandparents' home because I lived with them for the greatest part of my life. And I would walk past their room or, matter of fact, any room in the house and In an unplanned way, I would actually walk up on them or walk past them and look and see them kneeling over a chair or kneeling beside their bed. My grandmother often would kneel between the small space between her bed and the paneled wall. And I don't know if it was just the acoustics in that little space, but you could often hear her praying in other places of the house. You couldn't really make out words, but it was the faint mumble. I don't know if it was the ductwork in the floor of our house that it would allow it to come up into my room, but I would often hear her praying in the middle of the night and not know what it was. It was an odd hour, or everybody should have been gone, or everybody should have been in bed, and I would hear what sounded like a conversation going on. And on more than one occasion, I would get up and I would walk through the house, tracing that noise, trying to figure out who was up 
at that time of night talking who would be having a conversation and I would walk to the door and I would look into where the noise was and I would see my grandmother having a deeply meaningful conversation with God. I really couldn't make out what she was saying, but I could, I could hear and feel the passion in the trembling of her cracking voice. Sometimes I would hear enough to make out my name. And what was even more powerful to me is when I heard her pray for my dad. My dad had abandoned us and hurt my grandmother's daughter in the process. And yet, even though my dad wasn't around and hadn't been heard or seen in years... My grandmother still prayed with love and grace over his name, and that meant a lot to me. I would hear her mention the names of my cousins and aunts and uncles, or my sister or my mom. Every now and then she would make out my name, but most of the time I couldn't really hear what she was saying. Those moments happened so often in my life that I would walk by a room and see them praying, or I would hear them mumbling through the vents and know what was going on, and I really didn't think a whole lot about it then. But I think about it a lot now. My grandparents didn't have a lot of money. As a matter of fact, they were church planters in rural America. And my grandfather planted a startup church that he wound up pastoring for nearly 40 years. But it never grew very big and he was always bivocational. He had a, another job and my family didn't really have a whole lot to leave anybody. As a matter of fact, my family all pitches in to kind of help my grandmother get by. But she, along with my grandfather, left a lasting legacy. And the world is blinded to the value of the legacy that they have left because it doesn't measure on their standard of IRAs and heirlooms and trust funds. It's a legacy of prayer. And it has had an immeasurable impact on my life, on Haley's life, upon my kids, and upon you, if North Place is your home church. And you may be tempted to say, Pastor, with all due respect, how in the world does a grandmother's prayers that we have never met have an impact on us? Well, if it wasn't for the prayers of my mother and my grandmother, I wouldn't be standing here today. As most of you know, I have a pretty rough past, and I don't share all the details of my past, all the gory details, just enough to give you a hint of the level of the grace of God that has been extended to me. But a few months before I had an radical encounter with Jesus, my addiction and my rebellion had reached a feverish pitch in my life in the summer of 1990. The more my family prayed, it seemed like the further from God that I became. My poor choices led me into relationship with some pretty shady people. And one night I pulled into what was a well-lit parking lot, but right behind me so that I couldn't get out, a vehicle pulled up and Several older men got out of that vehicle and I knew it wasn't a good situation. So as I tried to get out of my truck, one of them grabbed me, yanked me out of the truck and the next few minutes were pretty brutal. I almost lost my right eye that night. It could have been worse. It should have been worse. But several coincidental things happened that stopped their barrage. Unexplainably, they ran back to their vehicle, sped off and left me lying on the pavement a few minutes later, some of my friends drove up and helped me back into the truck and the police came and I made a few statements and refused medical attention and I drove back to my home. And it was late, really late when I got there and so I just bloodied, I fell across my bed. I don't know if it was, at this time my mom and I had tried to move out and get on our own feet and I don't know if it was for comfort or what, but the next morning I cleaned myself up and I went to my grandmother's house for breakfast. 
She always cooked breakfast for anybody that would come by. And so I went by her house for breakfast that morning. And when I sat down to eat, I looked a mess. And she said, so what went on with you last night? I said, "Uh, so you can tell? And she didn't answer. I said, so is it in the newspaper already? And I lived in a small town and news traveled fast. She said, no, I haven't read the paper today. She said, all I know is the Lord woke me up last night with a burden for you. And it wasn't a normal burden. It was an urgent burden. And she said, son, I don't know what's going on with you. I don't know what you're into or who you're into it with. But you listen to this old woman. There's not one thing or one person you're involved with that is stronger than this woman when she prays. Sooner or later, God is going to have his way with you whether you like it or not. And as I ate and she cleaned up the kitchen, she, the more she, my, my grandmother is a woman of very few words. She's not very educated and so she doesn't like to talk. And she's very to herself and she's very quiet. But this moment, that day, there was this uh, feverish type of uh, almost holy anger in her voice. And she's rattling pots and pans and she's frustrated and she's cleaning up in the house. And she said, whatever went on with you last night, could have been and probably should have been worse than it was. And while she's rattling these pots and pans, she just looked at me in frustrated ways. She said, you got me so busy dispatching angels to protect you, I barely have time to pray for anybody else in this family. (laughs) A few months after the conversation, I surrendered my life to Christ. I'll never forget that moment because when my grandmother was awakened, when she started rattling, she doesn't know what happened. I never told her what happened that night. But when she started rattling, waking up with the burden and the time the Lord woke her up, how long she prayed, it was the exact moment I pulled into that parking lot. And while all of those events were taking place, and I don't know why those men suddenly ran in their car and sped off, I have no idea. But I have to believe in my heart it was because my grandmother was dispatching angels to protect me. The legacy of prayer is of a higher value than stock portfolios, properties, money, or heirlooms. Had it not been for the prayers of my grandmother on that occasion and many others, I I may have died in my addiction or I could have been beaten to a pulp or could be in a prison cell today. But because of her prayers, the grace of God awakened me from my spiritual slumber. Her prayers had an impact on me, but because of that, they have impacted Haley's life and they have impacted my children's life and they will impact my children's children's life. And for the last seven years, they've had a meaningful impact on this congregation because one woman wouldn't stop praying for a hopeless case. When you understand the power of prayer, when you understand the legacy that prayer can leave for the coming generations in your family, you will begin investing in the eternal inheritance of current and future generations in your family by interceding for them in prayer. Your descendants will live in the atmosphere of your prayers long after you leave this earth. I cannot tell you how many grandparents in the last 21 years of my ministry who are the only carriers of spiritual DNA in their families who are approaching death or they are dying and their one regret to me is, Pastor, who's going to pray for my family? My children doesn't serve, they don't serve God. My grandchildren don't serve God. And I'm the only one that burns the oil in prayer for my family. Who is going to pray for my family? And this message is for them. It is for 
you. It is for all of us to remember the spiritual legacy that we leave in prayer will keep our descendants in the atmosphere of our prayers long after we live this earth. Our prayers are making spiritual deposits in heaven for our family. The greatest investment of your time that you can make for your children and your grandchildren, it is investment in the legacy of the Spirit for that family by investing in prayer. I know our generation spells love, T-I-M-E. And while it is so powerful for you to spend time with your children, there is only a limited amount of time in your life you will spend with them. Your presence will one day end on this earth. But the eternal deposits you make for that family in prayer will not be bound by geography or time and space. Prayer lasts for eternity and can shape the generations of your family that you will never even have the opportunity of meeting. Jesus prayed generational prayers. In John chapter 17, you have recorded what is one long prayer of Jesus. And he prays about a whole lot of things in John 17. But he spends a period of time praying over his disciples. And then he gets to verse number 20 and says, My prayer is not for them alone. His disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And then he says, may they all be one just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. But he prays, Lord, I not only pray for them, the original carriers of the message, but I pray for all who will believe in their message. Not just this generation, but I pray for the next generation and every subsequent generation that will hear and respond to the message that they preach. Do you realize that the prayer that he prayed over 2,000 years ago is being fulfilled in us? We are answers to the prayers that he prayed to the Father that those that would hear the message of his disciples would also believe and be changed. And as we are believers in Christ, we are living proof that God answers those generational prayers. I've had people ask me, Pastor How can prayer be so powerful if God's really in control? And if He's really sovereign, what is my prayer going to do to change today's events? How in the world, if my prayers have little effect on today's events, they ask, are they going to affect generations tomorrow? Isn't it all already set in order by the sovereignty of God? What does prayer do to make a difference? This is the answer. God is so determined to have a personal relationship with His people that in His sovereignty, He orchestrated a system. He set up the process where the supernatural power of heaven could be brought into the circumstances of this life through prayer. Do you understand that? He could have set the world in order, and that's called uh, deism, where He just set it all in order and He went back and left us to our own affairs. But He didn't do that. He created this world and in His sovereignty He so desired to have a personal intimate relationship with us that He created a system whereby the supernatural power of heaven that is available could be appropriated into the circumstances of this life through prayer. Prayer is the medium. Prayer is the portal. Prayer is the vehicle that the power of God comes to earth. It's the system He created because He wanted us to have access and relationship with Him and through that lifestyle of prayer and through that relationship relationship with him we appropriate the power of heaven to earth jesus taught us this when he taught on the prayer our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name the lord's prayer but the power in that statement is in 
uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse number 10. Listen to what he said. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do you get the will of God from heaven to earth? You pray it down. Prayer is how you get the kingdom of God to come to earth. Prayer gets the will of God from heaven to earth. But prayer that gets that kind of will from heaven to earth is more than the word sandwiched between dear God and amen. It's a relationship that you live. It's a relationship that you walk in. While he encourages us to ask him for everything that we need, he said, pray that God would give you your daily bread. And there are all kinds of promises and stuff available to us when we pray. Stuff is available, but if all we ever do is ask for the stuff, there's a realm of power available in prayer that we will never know. Because prayer is living in a relationship of ongoing communication with God. It is not bringing Him a petitions like Santa Claus all of the time. Prayer is more listening than it is talking. It is a two-way street. It is, it is encountering God on a day-to-day basis in relationship. Most people who struggle to pray often say to me, Pastor, if I just had a model, will you give me a formula? Will you give me a model, something that I can follow to help me pray? I just, I'm afraid I'll run out of words. I'm afraid that I'm not saying the right words. Give me the words. But Jesus didn't say, follow the formula, follow the model. He said, walk by the power of the Spirit. Don't walk by the formula, walk by the power of the Spirit. The act of praying is in itself dependency on God. The fact that you would even stop and pray signifies to God that you understand you need power beyond yourself to make it. It's an act of faith. But the very words that you say are formulated by listening to God. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. But most of us never know what to say when we pray because we think prayer is only what we say. If we would stop long enough in our communication with God, the Holy Spirit would begin to reveal to us how we are to pray or what we ought to say. When the Holy Spirit leads us into prayer, we pray according to the will of God. The act of praying is dependency on Him. It's hearing Him, allowing Him to form and shape the thoughts that we pray. Some people ask me, well, Pastor, should, should I pray just one time and move on or should I keep praying about the same thing? Because I've even heard people say, it's, it's a lack of faith to ask more than once. I completely disagree with that. Because I think Jesus taught in the Scripture on prevailing, persevering prayer. He said, ask, seek, knock. That means you ask, you keep on asking. You knock, you keep on knocking. You seek and you keep on seeking. And there are parables in the Scripture where He teaches about persevering prayer. This is something you have to remember. When you pray, you're not giving God new ideas. When you pray about a need in your life, or you're praying about a situation, or as a grandparent, you're praying over your children, your grandchildren, you're not awakening God to a need that He is not already aware of. If you think that when you pray, you're giving God new ideas or awakening Him to something or making Him aware of something He didn't already know, then you're going to be hesitant to to persist in prayer because you're going to think you're nagging Him on this issue that you've just made Him aware of. But prayer actually begins in the heart of God. It is His Spirit that awakens the thought and places the expectation in you. And when you speak it back to Him in faith, it's called prayer. 
Jesus, in His teaching on prayer, constantly comes back to the idea of persevering in prayer and hanging on until the answer comes through. Look in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told His disciples a parable. Why did He tell them this parable? To show them they should always pray and not give up. And then He goes on to tell the story of what is known as the persistent widow and the unjust judge. She kept coming to him because she was being mistreated by her adversaries and the judge wouldn't give her time and she started talking about God and all this. And he said, woman, I don't fear God. And so she kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And in the parable, the judge says, listen, I'm going to do for her what she's asking because she's driving me crazy. And at the end of that parable, Jesus said this, verse 7, And will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night, Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will find, will he find faith on earth? He's asking, will there be that kind of faith of the persistent widow? Will he find someone who will keep knocking? Someone who will keep asking? Someone who will keep seeking? For me, one of the most beautiful pictures in all of the Scripture is found in Psalm 56. And the thought is carried into Revelation chapter 5. In Psalm 56, 8, there's a promise worth standing on for those of you who are grandparents or any of us. Psalm 56, 8 says this, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Tossings is also translated wonderings. Yeah, I get the image when I read this of somebody who is restless because of trouble and they're tossing and turning in bed and they can't sleep. And, and one of the translations is wondering of the word tossing. So even when I wonder or when I'm in the season of spiritual drift, the psalmist says, you have kept count of my tossings, of the troublesome moments in my life. And those moments, those tossing and wondering moments where I have wept, you have put every one of those tears in your bottle. He's collected your tears in a bottle. Those tears that I prayed the day my dad walked out. Those tears that I prayed laying on that pavement because of the wreck my life was in. The tears I prayed in my addiction and in my guilt. And the tears I prayed the night I came to Christ and surrendered my life to Him. He's collected every one of those tears in His bottle. And there are many different kinds of tears. There are the tears shed by a little boy who is in ICU and far too young to be fighting leukemia, but he fights anyway. And there are the tears shed by a father who walks his, bride, his daughter down the aisle the day that she is a bride on her wedding day. And, and then there are tears that stain divorce papers. And then there are tears of grandparents who are interceding for the salvation of their children and grandchildren. Every teardrop is precious to God. To him, they are eternal keepsake or keepsakes. They are, they're a day, the day will come when he will wipe away every tear in heaven. But until then, he will move heaven and earth to honor every tear that has been shed. Not a single tear will be lost on his memory. He remembers each one. He honors each one. He collects each one. He bottles each one. And in the same way, he bottles our accumulated tears. The scripture promises. He bottles and collects our prayer. In Revelation chapter 5, you get this vivid image of heaven. 
The whole issue of Revelation chapter 5 is, is there anybody left that's worthy to open the scroll? The scroll contains all of this revelation about what is going to happen in the end of time. And they couldn't find anybody that was worthy. And they're in this dilemma. Is there anybody worthy to open the scroll? And it builds up to this climactic moment where Jesus takes the scroll and He is found worthy. And He opens the scroll and the revelation is revealed. And while John the Revelator is picturing this scene, I mean, you get this image when, when somebody has a home video camera and they're, they're taking images of a scene and, and while they pass the bookshelf your mind catches something on the bookshelf and, and it just moves on but you're intrigued by what you saw sitting on the desk or the bookshelf. That's what's happening. John is giving us a panoramic view of some things that are going on in heaven describing the minute when the Lamb of God opens the scroll and the revelation is revealed. But read this with me. Follow along as he goes panoramically across the scene. See if you don't find something powerful about the prayers of God's people. Revelation 5, 6, Then I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain, standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls. In the King James it says vials full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And then it moves on to what is the point of the passage. But as the camera spans across and it gets to the elders, my mind locks upon the harp in one hand and the golden vials or bottles full of vapors which are the prayers of the saints in the other hand. When I read across that, knowing what I know about Psalm 56, God bottling the tears of His saints, and now you get this, in, this snapshot of some imagery in heaven that's kind of the afterthought, but we see the elders in the background with bottles in their hands, and inside those bottles are the prayers of the saints. I cannot help but believe for that grandparent that is the only carrier of spiritual DNA in their family, and they're wondering, how are my prayers an atmosphere that future generations are going to draw on because that image says to me there are bottles with your name on it in the shelf of heaven and when your family that doesn't even know what to pray needs someone to intercede for them God is going to uncork grandma's prayers he's going to uncork grandpa's prayers and intercessions are going to come before the throne room of God because there are bottled prayers for the saints in the hands of the elders around the throne room of God he has bottled every tear and I believe he's bottled every prayer and that has special ramifications in my life in the 24 months plus since my grandfather has passed away. You know, my grandfather kind of portrayed himself as the chief and all of us were in his tribe, you know. He was the patriarch and I was his little brave. And, 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 and so everybody went to him for everything. And, and, and I can, even now, I, something's going on the news about world end time prophetic events. And I want to call him about it. Uh, I want to ask him about it, and I think I need to talk to Papa, and I realize he's not there. And then, and then there's the concern, you know. I know my life has been so impacted by their prayers, and my grandmother is aging, and will soon make her way to heaven. And what's going to happen to my family when, when they're not around to pray? And obviously, there's a responsibility on my end to take up the slack. 
But there is comfort for me to know somewhere on the shelf in heaven there's a prayer with M.D. Gibson's name on it that when I need it or my kids need it or when our family needs those intercessions, that spiritual legacy that has been left for us, those prayers have been bottled on the shelf of heaven when we need them the most. I remember my grandfather would take me when he worked and at six or seven, eight years old, laying under houses because this was his job to help put food on the table. We would bring air conditioning into homes that had had window units and so we would retrofit them and run the ductwork under the house and it would be hard work and hot a lot of times if we were in an attic in the summer. And My grandfather would often say, boy, I'm learning you something today. I said, what's that, Papaw? He said, I'm learning you to get an education so you don't have to do this the rest of your life. He never taught me anything in his words. He learned me everything. He didn't have a lot of education. He left school in the third grade to work in the cotton fields. Didn't have money for books when he did go to school. So he wasn't a very educated man. But I remember one night when the school board was trying to shut down the Bible club on our high school campus before I was even in high school. My grandfather tried to get every other larger church, more educated pastor to go to the school board. And they wouldn't go. So he put on his best suit and he went. He was really intimidated in big crowds. He was really intimidated around educated people. But when it came time to speak, he walked to the podium that night like a John the Baptist. He stumbled over his words. He talked about America and its foundations. And how this was a sad tragedy for our city. For the judgment that they had handed down. And he begged them to reconsider He wasn't very eloquent in his speech and he was easy to look over in his hand-me-down suit and the result wasn't very good. My grandfather kind of felt that when he got back to the house. He knew that he probably didn't represent the church that well and as good as he had tried, it probably wasn't going to work. He looked at me that night on that front porch and he said, Son, that's why you need an education. I got the heart, I got the spirit, but I just can't say it in a way for, for them to listen. And I said, Papa, they listen. He said, I know, but, but, but I want you to get to the point where you get the rights to sit at the table and they have to listen because you're one of them. My grandfather did make impact that night. They said no then, but by the time I was in high school, Jay Seculo and the ACLJ had come around and we got them on our side and our Bible club got established in school. It didn't happen that night, but it happened a few years later. It did make a difference and he got to see it happen, but one of the reasons I've pursued my education so much is because of what he asked. I can tell you there have been moments in the last few months that I've wanted to quit. I had too many things to do. And for some reason, out of nowhere, I felt some wind in my cells to keep going. And I have to believe they reached over and uncorked one of them prayers. My grandfather wanted his grandson to have an education. And it was the wind to keep me going. And on May the 4th and 5th, when I walked those graduation lines at the symposium and then at the graduation, my next stop, I wanted to be at a cemetery under a shady oak tree near his tombstone where I will lay that doctoral cloak around him and say, we did it. Because we did do it. It was his sustaining prayer even after he went to heaven. Because prayer leaves legacies that shape generations. I want the team to come if they will and prepare our hearts this morning. 
Let me tell you this. There are also spiritual legacies that are left by spiritual grandparents. Oscar and Lenny Rowland were in the last service and they've gone to this church for decades. They were a part of this church when there were only 15 people here and six of them were their family. They prayed this church through in seasons when the doors were about to close. They baked pies to build buildings out here. And I just told Oscar and Lenny this week, I had 125 plus cards in my hand of people who've committed their life at North Place Church in the last eight weeks. And one of them was a woman who was asking God to forgive her of her many abortions because she was ignorant and she didn't know. And if she had, if she would have made different choices and you could just feel her heart being poured out, but you knew the grace of God had embraced her and loving her and helping her deal with the guilt of her past decisions. And I said to Oscar and Lenny, you have never met that woman, but she's your spiritual grandchild because your prayers are kept, kept these doors open when nobody else went to church here. We're not living in the success of our ingenuity or our creativity or our own decisions, friend. The good that we're seeing happening is the grace of God and the shoulders of the prayers of people that have gone before us. Sister Cape Hart and her husband pastored this church and when he died, we, prayed for, we, we paid for his funeral to say thank you. Some years ago, she came back to our church to let us know how that meant to her and We had a parade of nations that day. It was a mission Sunday and we had many nations, but 42 nations were carried by their own, the the nation's flag was carried by somebody from that nation, 42 different nations. And she embraced me at the end of the service and she said, oh, God is so faithful. She said, I prayed for our church to grow and it never grew while we were here and it seemed like God didn't answer prayer. And then he gives me the chance to come back here and see a parade of nations while there are more flags representing nations of the world in this church today than there were people when we pastored here. She said, it wasn't that God said no. He just incubated my prayer to the right time. You see, friends, our prayers are prophecies like Daniel's. God told Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, roll up the seal and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. There comes a moment in time when it all is unveiled. He's never early. He's never late. When the time comes, the prayer will be unsealed. The answer will be revealed. At some point in time, our spoken words will cease because of the law of entropy and sound waves. You can speak a word and they go so far and then they die out. But our prayers will never cease. They are sealed forever. They defy natural laws and the subject of natural laws. They extend beyond time and space. Our prayers don't dissipate over time. Our prayers accumulate through eternity. And you can make deposits today that will affect generations of your family you will never meet. I want you to do something with me this morning. If you're a grandparent in this room, when we stand, you don't have to come. You may be new and this may be different, but I really felt this today. I want to pray over you if you're a grandparent today. And um, I want you to consciously, intentionally begin to make the choice to leave a spiritual legacy of prayer for your family. And so when we stand, I don't care what age, the side of age you're on, but if you're a grandparent, I want you to make your way to the front of the building. I want to join with you in prayer for many of those things you've bottled up long before now. Would you stand with me all over this place? And if you're a grandparent, would you come? I I want to pray for you this morning before we leave this place.
there, they, as they still come, there are there are marriages to their children and grandchildren they've been praying over for a long time. There are addicted sons and daughters. There are grandparents that go to this church. We've been praying for their children who are in prison. There are their, their safety and the health of their, their children and grandchildren represented here today. They have family members that are stricken with disease. And they plead and they plead and they plead and they plead and they plead. Every prayer has been bottled. I want you to know that. Every tear has been bottled. They've accumulated in heaven. And you're leaving a legacy right now that will affect the atmosphere of your family for generations to come. I want to join with you in agreement over those prayers. But you're not only just praying for your own physical family, you are the generation that, that are the bridge so that what God has said for the last 91 years of this church's history become a reality. You're the generation that knows how to pray. And I pray that you help pray in what God has promised to this church. Father, I join with these grandmas and grandpas as we together corporately make a deposit in heaven on the behalf of children and grandchildren. I pray for those that are addicted today that they would be delivered from their addictions, from those that are so blinded in their sin that they won't give these grandparents the time of day when they try to talk to them about it. I pray for marriages and, 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 and children and grandchildren, Lord, for those that are battling sickness and disease that these, grand, these grandparents have prayed over. God, I ask you for those that are praying over grandchildren and that are, that are serving in the military today that you would give your angels charge over them. Father, I am a testimony. My life is a testimony that there is nothing in this world more powerful than grandparents' prayers. And I pray today that you will catch the tears that fall from their eye. I pray today that you would bottle the prayers that they pray. And in 25 years or 50 years or 70 years from now, when their children's children's children need intercession, would you reach to the shelf and open that golden bottle full of prayer, which is of, of, of odor, which is the prayer of the saints. Let it impact the generations today. May spiritual deposits be made that change generations. Rewrite history today because of their prayer. Rewrite North Place's history today because of their prayer. And may you give them many spiritual sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters. They may never meet, Lord, because they have prayed souls into the kingdom of God. I bless you for them, Lord, and thank you for they are a gift to this church. Now, Lord, for all of us today, may you bless them and keep them. May you make your face shine down upon them. May you be gracious to them. Turn your countenance their direction. And may their lives be lived in peace, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.